Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Edgy Futurist Podcast. 182 is the episode. 182 episodes. Go back, have a listen to the back catalogue. Um, if you're interested in the future of education like us, then have a look at it. If you're not, then then switch off because this isn't for you. Um, yeah, it's it's great. It's great to be here. We don't have Ben with us. Uh, it's his daughter's birthday today, so he's he's out celebrating with her this evening. Uh, Steve, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, the, it's glorious sunshine in Yorkshire. We've, I think we've got to 15 degrees today, so it's. Uh, I'm sat in shorts and sliders. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one, and I'm so excited. I go on holiday on Saturday. I know I'm excited for this as well, but like you know, the family first family holiday and and to actually get some wall to wall sunshine on a regular basis. But yeah, last week was a really short week, three days, trying to get five days into three, and then this week's been a. It's been a, a, a really busy one, as we've talked about before we came on. Profit and loss sheets and the whole stuff around that and trying to, to talk about it from a from point of view, a business point of view, is, is new to me, stepping out of education. A year ago last week, I stepped out of education and into into the business world and the role I'm doing. So, yeah, how about you, mate? How's it going? Yeah, yeah, it's going well, man. Um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm on holiday on Sunday as well. Uh, fly out to to the south coast of Spain, so looking forward to to a week there. Um, and I just checked the temperature before, and it's thirty three degrees. Now, my ginger head isn't going to deal with thirty three degrees, so stocking up on on suntan lotion and and yeah and hats. But but looking forward to it. We should probably before we get our guests on, we should we should mention the awards. So we've got our annual award ceremony coming up on the thirtieth of June, and that will kick off at half 12 um british time which is utc plus one i believe um so it'll be online live on youtube like it has been for the last couple of years and i just wanted to go through and just thank our sponsors this year uh, so we've got anme who are sponsoring our network manager of the year learnosity sponsoring our international award c learning um, who are sponsoring outstanding achievement canopy uh, are back with us sponsoring staff engagement and training, net support, sponsoring the big one, Edge Futurist of the Year, Primary ICT support are sponsoring the Primary School of the Year, signing up, sponsoring Secondary School of the Year, Visor, FA College of the Year, uh, StreamYard are sponsoring University of the Year, and Six Connections sponsoring Wellbeing Champions. So thank you for all our sponsors this year. Uh, we appreciate you and join us to celebrate those making the future of education happen on the 30th of June. It's going to be good, isn't it, Steve? Yeah. After that mouthful, mate, do you want to take a drink? Do you want to mute and take a drink? Uh, uh, I thought it was never going to end. I was just I scrolling was like, down wow, the page. Little, you know what? <laughs> That's a celebration of the amount of support that we have, I suppose, that we can we can celebrate all of those different categories. And we've got people that don't just like us, but actually believe and support what we're trying to achieve around the whole tagline of the the future um, is only the future until so we we start it, and I think the keynote and everything else and everything we're trying to achieve is around what does the future look like and how can we prepare and kind of how do we um, what are the, the blueprints and the footprints to take to actually get there. We know the why it has to change. Uh, the what and the how is to be discussed on the day, and there's some wonderful people making inroads, and we're going to celebrate them. Um, that's what yeah. it's about. So um, as and- we talk about wonderful inroads. And some wonderful work that's going on. Um, do you want to introduce him as? Well, should we say a super fan, Dan? I don't know. Do we? Do we call yourself a super fan? I don't. Do we say that? I don't know. Yeah, I'm fan interested. Boy, let's let's <laughs> let's get a. 
So we've got Rockwell and Nick who are joining us, who are part of the the Invisible College. Uh, let's let's bring them in and and get into what that is. Nick Rockwell, thanks for joining us all the way from sunny California. Hey guys, happy to be here. Hey, hey Rockwell, you okay? Yeah, sorry, sorry, I was, I was <laughs> cut out for a second. Hey Dan, right, hey Steve. <laughs> no worries. Th thanks so much for joining us. Um, and it's great to talk to you guys. I know we've been we've been arranging this for a while now, so it's it's great to to eventually get you guys on. Um, I think I first heard of of Invisible College. I think back in November last year, and there was a there was a bit of bit of a buzz on Twitter. Um, some of the the Web three accounts I, I follow on Twitter, and I think what immediately struck me was uh, I'm big into Web three and and kind of all that that's bringing, and then obviously this podcast. I'm big into education as well and the future of education and you guys seem to be bringing those two worlds together can you can you just give us a bit of an intro into into what invisible college is and it'd be great to get to know who you two guys are as well and, and your backgrounds and what brought you to invisible college yeah sure i'm, I'm happy to, to give a little background so so um so uh, my my career has been, like mostly been in education um, so after graduating business school, I ran uh, a boot camp to train product designers and growth marketers for roles at fast growing startups, um, exited that and then went to uh, work um, in product marketing at Guild Education, uh, which helps frontline workers in the US earn degrees and credentials debt free. Um, and around probably mid 2021, uh, I really kind of caught the web three bug. I, I, I've been investing in crypto since 2017. So I, I, I sort of known, you know, spent some time in it, seen the magic of, you know, number go up, also seen the magic of, of number go flat for, for many years. Um, and, uh, and but, but 2021 was sort of, sort of the first time there was a critical mass of things you could actually do in Web3, applications you could use. And so um, Rockwell and I, this is like right around uh, the beginning of my paternity leave, um, started, you know, like exploring uh, the space and did some, some DeFi, DGen plays, and, you know, I, I bought a couple NFTs, and it just became really clear to us quickly that, that Web3 was, was both a lucrative topic to learn, um, a really hard topic to master, and then really risky to learn wrong. And, and what I mean by that, that last point is, is, you know, there are all sorts of ways that you can enter into the wrong website and get your wallet drained. Um, there are scams, all sorts of things like that. Um, and, and then when it comes to like, like the actual sort of content, um, it's not like learning about um, mobile apps, right? With mobile apps, it's, a, it's sort of a front end revolution. You can feel it, you can see it, you can touch it. With Web3 is very, it's sort of a back end revolution. So, so when you touch a, a Web3 app for the first time, it actually feels like clunkier and kind of um, uh, uh, like less of a great experience than like using Venmo or something. But, but when you sort of understand the plumbing and why it's special and, and what's going on in the background, um, you start to get a whole new appreciation for it. And so we, we just sort of realized like this is going to be something that, that people are going to want to learn. Um, and and, and we, we looked around, um, we sort of started doing a bunch of research into like what is the journey of people into Web3? And it's actually very opposite of, of, of what it looks like to get into traditional tech. And, in, and let's say like getting into Web2 you would start out maybe a builder who's working at a company. And then if you get lucky enough where that company sort of hits an exit and you make a bunch of money, then you have enough money to be sort of an accredited investor. And in Web3, it's the opposite. In Web3, 
by just touching any sort of tool, you actually become an investor really, really fast. Like let's say you go work for, for a, um, a decentralized autonomous organization, which are sort of the, the, the companies of Web3. Um, you earn some tokens, suddenly you know, you're an investor. Uh, you, you go mess around with the DeFi protocol and NFT, you're an investor, right? So um, we, we saw there was a lot of education around sort of uh, you know, learning solidity development, things like that. But, but frankly, in, in Web3, the first thing you need in order to get that magic moment it's a really good kind of experience as an investor. And so um, I'll, I'll toot Rockwell's horn and just say like uh, Rockwell is, is uh, incredibly insightful when it comes to topics around Web3 and tokenomics and investing. And um, and so when we, we sort of started uh, teaching folks we knew about Web3 and about investing, um, it just, you know, it had sort of instant product market fit. And so we decided to kind of explore that deeper. We, we had more conversations with people. And, and one of the questions we asked is, is why haven't you bought an NFT yet? And, and as you might imagine, like some people basically came back and told us, you know, I don't want to be holding a bunch of like toads and penguins when the market drops out. And then I have to go tell my, you know, significant other that uh, we can't go on vacation because we're holding a bunch of illiquid JPEGs. Right. And, and which I totally empathize with and sympathize with. Right. And, and so we, we kind of wondered, Hey, is, is there a way where we can build because we, we sort of experienced the magic of NFTs, right? Like, like I, I like the community around these profile picture projects. Like, I think there's something really special about them. But frankly, a lot of them just don't have a lot of value beneath them. They're, they're all sort of based on, on, on kind of hype. And so we thought, what if we could build a, um, a, an NFT project for a bear market, one that was backed by a school, where your NFT was essentially your, your tuition. And, and by, by holding an NFT, you would essentially be able to get access to an ever-growing library of really high-quality cohort-based courses around Web3 education. And, and the nice thing is by holding that NFT as the, as the library grows, your investment grows. You, you're, you're able to, to then unlock more and more courses for free. And you also benefit from that because you're a holder of the underlying asset. So when you say, when you, when you say NFT for a bear market, just for some of our listeners, that, that being when the prices are going down, uh, yeah, within, right. In so, the crypto market. So, so if, if you've had any kind of uh, irritating friends who invested in Web3 last year and who are really excited telling you about the great price of Bitcoin or their the random NFT they bought and talking about how it was only going up, you know, we were in a bull market, right? We've been in a bull market of all sorts of risky assets uh, uh, for actually quite a while. And, and, and 2021 was sort of like a, a pinnacle, for, particularly for crypto. Uh, and, and if you've noticed, those people are, are quite a bit quieter uh, this year as, as we've entered into uh, an era of declining prices, right, which, which is a bear market. Yeah, it actually I'm not, I'm not, I've stopped talking about it, to be honest. I'm... Right, right. <laughs> it, 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 it turns out it's actually a much better time to get into Web3 during a bear market when prices are down versus when they're up. Um, but uh, most people, uh, unfortunately, don't, don't follow that, that, uh, that advice. So when you say um, it, it's an NFT for a bear market, um is what you're saying is that a, a lot of NFTs, the value is linked to the, the price of it, whereas the the NFTs that you guys have created, the value is is not necessarily in the price, it's it's elsewhere, it's in the it's in the education. Is that right? So another way to think about it is hype versus utility. Right? So when when it's a bull market and everybody's so excited, we're all making money, like prices are going up, only up, right? You, you, you are excited to be there because you're making money. 
And oftentimes when people get involved in crypto, they're trying to solve the problem of how do I get rich? Right. That's that's the problem that they're solving, right? For for, for many people. And when you transition from a bull market where everything is up all the time to a bear market where prices have come down, valuations have come down, a lot of the free money that was flowing there has disappeared, then you're left with, okay, what is the actual intrinsic value of this thing that I'm holding? And if that intrinsic value was only hype, it was only like, hey, I'm looking around, everybody else is excited about this thing, I'm excited about this thing, great, everything's, everything's great. But when the hype dies down, what can this thing do for you? And you know, for some, it's just going to be art, right? It, you know, at least in the NFT case, it's like, oh, it's just great and beautiful and engaging art, and that's okay. We have art in, in the traditional world too, and art does just fine. But in many of these NFT collections, it's not even good art. <laughs> so, so you'll find that the if there's no base utility as part of the NFT, the price just trends to zero. And what, what Nick is saying is like, hey, we're going to make an NFT collection for a bear market. What he's really saying is that we're going to have an NFT that actually has inherent utility, that you can do something with it, right? And in the case of the Invisible College NFT, the Decentralian, what that means is that it gives you access to a lot of courses. It gives you access to a community of people that are learning Web3 together. It gives you access to an event library and a private RSS feed that you can put into your podcast player and listen to all the investors and all the builders that are coming and talking about Web3 in Invisible College. And we've done actually over 100 plus events over the last four months. You know, we're doing events almost every day of the week, you know, for people Monday through Friday. It's, it's really fascinating. I know um, people have invested in, and, and, as we discussed before, like my exploration of, of, of the whole concept and, and web free and everything else is, is definitely, in, I'd say, and it's uh, infancy. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to walk. Definitely. I've, I've, I've not been able to stand up just yet. Uh, but we had somebody on the, the tech rabbi um, a few months ago and, and who was talking about web free and the impact of education and all of those kind of things. And I think this is a really interesting concept that you're now not saying just by this and hopefully you get rich off it. This is an opportunity for people, the power of Web3 and what the impact it's going to have on the world, but education and what you're providing is an opportunity to learn about it. So actually, yes, you can you can own something, but also you can have the opportunity to learn. It. And, and that's, I think, really I think really exciting for me. That's a bit where I'm thinking, ah, oh, money's great for everybody that's bought one and made a million there are also thousands and millions and billions of people that have also bought something that's uh, turned out to be uh, did it exist or or you know, and it just crashed but they, this is the bit that excites me the bit where i have an opportunity to that dan will go away potentially or somebody will go away and, and look on youtube and do all these things this structured a little bit more structured where i can have the opportunity to build a community and learn from other people and that social learning element is something i've not necessarily seen before and maybe it exists but i think this is a this is a bit I want to delve into. What does that look like in terms of the structure of it then? You know, when you say there's courses and communities, how does that run? Uh, and, and for the people that are focused on education in its raw form and what that looks like normally, they would they'd say, well, I just, I'd go to class nine to five and I, I get told when I can have a, I go to the bathroom and I can have a dinner time at 12 o'clock. 
this definitely isn't that. What does it look like in terms of its structure, though, and, and how 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 is it um, set up? Yeah, I, I would say um, it probably like learning community is probably one is like is like the best kind of way to think about it, right? There is a um, there is a space where people gather online uh, in our Discord server where people are sort of constantly talking about topics in Web three, right? Sharing insights, asking questions, answering questions. But one of the things we focused on was we wanted to build the community and the NFT collection first, because actually that's really the hard thing to solve for. Um, there is, when, when you're, when you're learning about web three, there's a lot of good content out there, right? The, the, the tricky thing is you, when you're trying to get into web three, you have questions that you don't even know the words to be able to put into Google. And so it's really important to have a community where you can, come in and you can ask a question and feel really comfortable asking a question and someone um, has some inherent affinity with you, maybe because they, they own the same NFT as you. And so they're really kind of incentivized to answer your question. And so we really designed the community first because we wanted to make sure that we had that element, which we thought was the thing that was really missing in Web3. So that community kind of sits at the center. And then, and then on, on sort of a, a daily event, on, 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 a, on a daily basis, we're throwing events, right? Uh, Rockwell had office hours on Monday. Uh, we did um, kind of more of a, almost like a show around- NF, NF Tuesday. <laughs> we did a show around <laughs> NF, NFTs called NF Tuesday uh, yesterday. Um, I'm interviewing uh, the founder of CabinDAO today. Tomorrow we talk to an investor who um, invests in real estate in the metaverse. And then Friday we have town hall. Um, and so we literally, you know, events every day. Um, and, and then in terms of courses, right, we're, we're sort of on a, on a monthly quarterly basis, producing high quality cohort based courses. And those courses, um, are available to all of our holders for free. And as we produce more courses, um, those courses are, are sort of publicly available. People can buy them with, with fiat dollars, right? So you can go to NAS Academy and, and buy Rockwell's Bitcoin masterclass. Um, with with you know regular dollars, or you can invest in an NFT and then be able to actually sort of you know get free access to all of the courses that we have produced and all the courses we will produce. And you can imagine a world where, you know, at some point um, there's maybe thousands of dollars worth of, of courses that that you get for free with your decent trillion. And so if you sort of uh, bought an early, you get two benefits. One, you get to benefit from it as a as customer, where you get access to all these courses for free that you. You know, otherwise wouldn't and then you also get an underlying asset which has some some value based on um hopefully the number of of courses and their their sort of price to the public so that's kind of the idea and and um and and you know people use it for different things there's some people who are building things uh in, in invisible college there's some people who are who are investors there's some people who are just looking to learn build their networks um and we kind of build it uh, for all those people um, it's, it's a place where, you know, people can kind of invest as much time or as little time as they want to. They can take breaks from it. They can come back to it. Really, it's a place that you're sort of meant to be able to be a sustaining member for a long time. That's cool. And, yeah. I, and I can attest to the, to the community as well, uh, from being a member on the discord. Um, yeah, I you just, you reminded me of, of the interaction I had, I think it was with Paul. Is it, is Paul the guy who does your tutorial, tutorial videos on your website? I got that. Paul's, right. Paul's done a bunch of great videos for us. Uh, yeah. he's, he's, a, he's a really talented, uh, talented videographer. 
yeah, he's uh, he traded. We traded our Decentralians uh, when I first got mine. Um, oh no way! <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gave me a really cool nice. one, actually uh, in exchange. But uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 a great community in there, and, and you guys are just continue, like you said, doing events. Um, and I, I think I've I think I've signed up to the the Google Calendar to get alerts for them. Uh, but I just just I'd wish I had more time in the day to 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 to, to watch them and to take part in them. Well, the, uh, the, 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 cool, the their the quality. Cool the, the the cool thing that, that we also have now is like all of our events get recorded and we actually have a podcast feed, right? So, and so actually this, this is actually a change like in the last week, but now like literally if you have a podcast player, you can get all the, all the events downloaded up so you can listen to them in the morning during your morning walk, right? We, we want to make this like easy to consume for people who have busy lives, busy jobs, where you can jump into something, jump out of it. Um, in general, it, it's, it's sort of, you know, it, it's meant to be something, again, it's like, there, there are types of education where they should be really intense, right? There, it's a, a fellow, a three-month fellowship. During that time, you sort of set aside everything you're going to do in life and you're focused on this. We want Invisible College to be a place where people could stay for the long run, where there's new interesting stuff every week, where you can go deeper down the rabbit hole if you want to. You can get involved, on, get on an advisory council if you want to, or you can pretty just passively consume stuff, even if it's just on your podcast player, even if you're just getting the email newsletter, right? There, there should be sort of different ways that you can kind of engage. Yeah. Uh, what, what does, um, you've mentioned a few times that word decentralized and I, and I suppose the, the name of the NFT decentralian, what, what does that mean in terms of, of what you guys are doing? What does, what, where does the decentralization come into that? I mean, I think it, it takes form in many ways. Decentralization is a spectrum. It's not a binary, right? It's not zero or one. And I think there are, there are parts of um, the ecosystem that we are developing that is very decentralized. So for example, when we do curriculum production and how we find new teachers and bring them into the fold, you know, it's not just me that's doing all the teaching, right? In fact, even community members like SurfKT have done incredible um, you know, educational content production for the community where the students are even doing some of the teaching. But even when we go and we find uh, new teachers, we're trying to source from all sorts of locations, bring them into Invisible College so that they can workshop their content and really develop out the course. And then when they're ready, we actually ship them off to our partner, NOS Academy, who, who films the movie, so to speak, of their course. And then that movie, that, that course, that cohort-based course gets included into your decentralian totally for free, right? You know, that's, that's one aspect of decentralization where how we think about sourcing teachers, right, is, is, is important and how we source, source education is important. Another aspect is how do we actually run the organization itself of Invisible College? So I think uh, most of us that are actually in the world of DAOs, these decentralized autonomous organizations, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a new form of governance being born. You know, we've seen LLCs, we've seen S corps, we've seen B corporations, C corporations, we've seen all sorts of ways to organize people and capital to accomplish a mission, right? That's what, that's what companies really are. And now we're seeing in web three that there are something called DAOs where you can organize people and you can organize capital in this fundamentally digital native way to get missions accomplished. 
to like to, to go do something of impact. And a lot of experiments are happening right now on how should you actually construct a DAO? How should a DAO operate? And it's not the same for every organization. And you know, our what we've seen tried a lot so far is direct democracies. And frankly, anybody who's paying attention to history knows that direct democracies do not work in the vast majority of cases. You cannot get every person to vote on every issue and expect that you're going to get good outcomes out of that. It just doesn't work that way, right? So you have to be more thoughtful on how you create governance and how you um, how you put in infrastructure in place so that organizations can run long after the founders are gone. And that's what we've spent a lot of time developing out is like, what does that governance structure actually look like? How does it perform? Um, how do you get people that are coming into the college involved in governance in meaningful ways? And so, you know, we're in the early stage of experimenting how to fully decentralize Invisible College. You know, we make no claims that we're a fully decentralized organization yet. That's, that's certainly where we want to be and, and where we want to go. But our first step is to recognize that you have to build the relationship with people over time and, and really gear it towards what are they experts at? Like everybody has superpowers of some kinds, right? But not everybody has, has every superpower. And so one of the first things that we've done is we've created advisory councils where we say, okay, our, our, our business is broken up into merchandising, into partnerships, into education, into you know n number of ways and we we put out an open call to the community like hey who wants to help out with this area of the business who wants to be an advisor and with the idea being that the um the advisors don't have to do the work they just have to lend their superpowers and their insight into the for the people that are actually accomplishing and executing and so now we have these advisory councils where people can join and and we filter them like we don't just let anybody join the advisory councils, they actually interview for it. And we wanna make sure that they have relevant expertise and that they, they're, they're knowledgeable and that they're really gonna provide value. Because what you don't want is you don't want people that have no idea what they're doing, but just wanna be there. And because that, that's not ultimately gonna contribute a lot of value to the organization and a lot of value to the other members. And so you know what we see this eventually evolving into is creating these, um, these, these groups of folks that have um, some form of significant governance ability around that particular topic for the DAO. And, and so, you know, people that, that are, are really giving their superpowers believably can influence the direction of the organization. And in this way, you're building a pathway for people to come in as lurkers like, ah, they just want to learn. They just want to lurk. They just want to you know, maybe be around and chat. But then you're deepening the relationship with an advisory position. And eventually some of those advisors are going to want to become either part-time or full-time contributors to the DAO. And so you can deepen the relationship even more, right? And really give a, a pathway to move up in the organization and have impact. We could talk about decentralization in like a, a bunch of different ways. I mean, frankly, we could fill a whole hour <laughs> in decentralization. So uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. It's a very deep topic and something that I'm actually um, uh, quite excited about in general. Yeah, uh, me too. And I think 
I think just the whole the whole ethos of decentralization. Um, I know we, people talk about decentralized ownership, finance, and all the things that are built on blockchain. But I think that just the whole philosophy ethos of decentralization that comes with it is is quite exciting, and I think we're, it is going to grow in the coming decades as well. And there's there's another piece to it too, which is like the the brand of the decentralians, right? So so we we specifically wanted to build an NFT collection that was like really high quality on its own, right? There are four classes of characters. There's a whole big story around it, right? Like there is no kind of math blaster, number munchers, organ trail for adults. There's no edutainment brand that is like interesting and cool and fun and that people want to be a part of. And and ultimately we want to build that with the Decentralians. And, and we're, we're doing that in a way that is to some degree, it's, it's a, it is a, decentralized process for building a brand rather than top down us dictating everything that happens with the brand. Um, there are a lot of proposals coming up from the community. There are a lot of new art ideas, things like that coming from the community and those, and those changes um, make a big difference. Right. And so there, there's both like an editorial process that comes, uh, that, that comes from, from the top, but there, there's a sort of bubbling up of ideas that, that comes from the community. And that's, that's a, that's a really sort of fun process for, for, building this kind of uh, new decentralized brand. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's interesting that whole narrative around them and 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 kind of the different characters. Uh, what why why 10,000 there's the a lot of NFT creators create 10,000 NFTs. Um and I know you got you guys did as well. What what's the significance of that number? Yeah, t- ten, I mean it's it's um it's a little bit of convention, right? And the, and the convention sort of changes over time. Um, you know, to some degree, in a in a really fast changing market, you're sort of looking for things that work a little bit, right? Like um you know and 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 there's there's some number of of NFTs you could put out into the world. W- what you want is this magic sweet spot between like there's enough scarcity where it feels like you know you're getting something special that that um you know, is, is worth holding on to and there aren't just, you know, millions of them out there. Um, but also at the same time, you you want there to be enough that there can be sort of this this critical mass of people who have them, who set them as their profile pictures, who 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 are members of the community. And so and so for us, we thought, you know, sort of ten thousand over time makes a ton of sense. Um, we wanted to hold on to to a bulk of them because frankly we we you know we believe that um, as we put more value underneath them, they're going to be worth more and more and more, and that's really valuable for the treasury to, to sort of um, be able to to have a stock of them uh, as we we sort of create new courses and they unlock more and more value. Yeah, just <laughs> sorry, I was laughing to myself and based on the the, the, the the different questions that have come through into my head and at different points as 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 the conversations carried on and I don't want to be that person that goes let's go back to 10 minutes ago when I wanted to ask that question so let me think about something else but that whole because it, it moves so quickly this conversation moves as quickly as as, as web three but the, the really interesting bit and, and I, I always apply it back to the context of, of, of standard education people will be probably listening and thinking but it's really risky so buying a, something that might not exist and might not be anything value is really really risky but in terms of my head, I'm like, the way I put it across is, is it not more of a risk going to Ivy League or spending in the UK 
£100 on a course over three to five years that you might lose interest in over a period of time. You can't dip and out and doesn't change and evolve. It's written and you kind of go through it for a job that you might not want to do and a job that might no longer exists and all of those kind of concepts. And like that's the way that I'd put it across of everything's a risk. But actually, is it is it more of a risk to then potentially own something that could become valuable, but also you get some learning to go with it. I, 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 you know, that's the, the bit that I'm just kind of want to share and, and get think, people thinking that will listen to it, that that whole thing of what 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 is a greater risk? The status quo of what we've got, and I know you're not, not trying to compete against Ivy League or Red Brick Universities and Russell Groups in the UK. I know it's a very different thing. It's a specific focus, but like, you know, if you compare it to the tradition, who is taking a bigger risk with their education? You know, it's an interesting facet, isn't it? You know, we could probably unpick that for an hour. Uh, we but, could. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot there. And I think one of the core ethos of Web3 that really resonates with me is that value accrues to the network of participants. That there aren't necessarily two classes of citizens. There are users and there are shareholders, right? Which exists today, right? If you... If you uh, you know want to go to one of these fancy schools like Harvard, you know, it's like you don't own a share of Harvard just going being a student there, right? Maybe you could argue that it's like, well, your diploma you know can go up and down in value uh, relative to like how well the school does you know over time, and that that could affect your job prospects, which would of course affect your income. So certainly there are indirect links, but you know many of the school many of the the, the uh, people I went to school with had a quarter of a million dollars of debt, $250,000 of debt that they graduated with. And, you know, that debt is up for them to pay back. Like the school is not going to help them pay that back. Right. And, you know, you, you kind of imagine, well, what would happen though, if that $250,000 that I paid for school was an asset instead of a liability? that after I was done going to one of these fancy schools, I could just sell my access to the school and recoup, recoup the rewards. And frankly, if I have that as an asset, I'm now incentivized to act like an owner. And people behave very differently when they act like owners versus renters. And this is something I think that's really important is Web3 is incentivizing us to act like owners. And in that, you know, all the participants in a particular network are there trying to improve the network, at least in theory. And therefore, value that happens out of that should come back to the network of participants. And so, you know, I, I think, Steve, you're basically spot on. It's like, what's, what's riskier, buying a liability or buying an asset? Of course, buying a liability is riskier, right? In general, I think also let, let's let's be uh, catered in reality. Buying a decentralian is like a hundred to one hundred fifty dollars right now. <laughs> you know, so you're getting access to a community like Invisible College is a much smaller financial investment than going to a traditional uh, university. So I mean, we're we're even leagues apart. But even if the prices were the same, the question is ultimately: Do you want to be an owner or do you want to be a renter? That's the question. Yeah. 
So what I'm going to unpick now is, where do we start? So I bought for $150. You know what? The Edge Futures podcast has some power. Who knows? We could be at 250 grand uh, by the end of this episode and when it gets aired. You know what? That is the power <laughs> that we have. So who knows? It could go have gone up in value. You know, People could literally, I don't know whether you're tracking it, but all of them could be sold. Literally, it could be gone up. It could be big trade and everything else. But I've done it, bought it. I'm now uh, an owner. I'm invested and, and, and I want to get involved. What are the next steps? I know you've got the community and everything else. What kind of courses are on there? What kind of stuff is out there apart from the kind of events? What is the, I know you talked about the asynchronous element, but somebody who then says, I'm an introvert. I want to learn more. I don't want to research it all on YouTube and go off on my own because I, I don't even really get it. I want to be guided a little bit more. What what does what does your organization, what does the Invisible College do that structures it in a way where the learning can take place? Is it kind of, micro-credentials, is it different things? What what kind of stuff does it do? Yeah, so so um, the, the process for sort of buying one, we, we kind of outline on, on a website and it's kind of become a member page. And and what that ends in is, is after you buy your Decentralian, you go visit our Discord server, which is kind of where where the community gathers, where, where questions are asked. Um, there, we kind of walk you through an onboarding to be able to like attend our live events, to be able to access sort of the recording library of all the events that we've done, and then to be able to log into to courses, and and so those are you know and 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 you um, we give people the opportunity to sort of do that at their own pace, right? Again, again, we're what we're Web three is something where people are going to be grappling with it for a long time, and there's there's no sort of deadline where you have to you know, uh, um, finish learning before, you know, within a month or something, right? What we want people to be able to do is we want to have a, a big library of, of, um, of, of content that they can take at their own pace. Um, now, the, the courses, when you, when you take one of the courses, you can take it with a cohort. So, so the way NAS Academy works is, is they do these, co- these cohort-based courses. But also, if you just want to log in and consume the content on your own, you can do that too. We want to really give people a lot of like flexibility and optionality around it. But we want to design high quality education experiences so when they do, they're really they're they're able to to really kind of uh, master the content. And um, you talked about the development and the and the ownership, and so I've I've learned, got involved, want to do everything else. Does Rockwell hold the keys? Uh, for me wanting to then start to educate others and, and, and do it. I know it's a, who, how do I then go out, become somebody who's learned, somebody who's been curious, somebody who's absorbed a lot of information. I've literally stayed up like probably Dan would over like a space of a week and learn it all, or like I probably would do where I've drip fed uh, um, um, some serotonin over uh, for over a year's long time. I've got to that point. How does that then shift from being a, a consumer to being a creator in, in, in their college. Yeah, we've already seen that happen a couple of times. So, so no, Rockwell doesn't hold the keys. <laughs> Ultimately, the, the community holds the keys. So anybody in the community can um, basically set up an event and, and you know, talk and chat. We call these community chats where they can, they can teach others. You know, we've seen a number of our students kind of graduate into instructors or, you know, to, to teach people about all sorts of things. And we've had some great talks around, you know, for community chats around 
the Olympus uh, protocol, around the Luna fiasco, around stable coins. I mean, we've seen all, all sorts of things that the community has just self-organized and they've created these, these events for themselves. What usually happens is that um, if, if a community chat really picks up some steam and there seems to be more depth there, then that could actually be created into a course, right? Like you could turn that into, you know, if, if this material is workshop and the community really resonates with it, then we would, you know, naturally turn that into a course and, you know, include it in the course catalog. But certainly I don't, I don't hold any keys, uh, so to speak, in, in education production. I think, I think the, the important thing is that we, you, you differentiate when, when there's a sort of community session where the person who's, who's kind of delivering the content may not be a super deep expert, but they're, they're sort of learning, they're on the path. And then making sure you also designate this is a, this is a course or this is a, um, this is a, a piece of content or an event being taught by an expert. At the end of the day, um, you know, I think what we found is that people want to be taught by really knowledgeable people. Now they're they're happy to hang out and discuss topics with people who are who are learning alongside them, but they're they're sort of different types of events that are that are sort of done for different purposes. And so we like to really kind of clearly distinguish which ones are being taught by people who know what they're talking about and which ones are being taught by people who are learning what they're talking about in real time. That's great. And I, just to go back to like the blockchain technology as well, because um, I know you, you build uh, the Decentralians on, on the Solana blockchain. Is, is that right? It, I guess just the, why did you pick that blockchain with, with there being so many others? Um, and especially with, with a lot of NFTs being built on, on Ethereum. And, and does it bother you when the price goes down? Because I know you said the value is elsewhere. The value is not intrinsic to the price, but but I suppose it does play a factor in in how much somebody can purchase, and and also the 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 amount of NFTs you've got in your treasury. I suppose that value goes down, and the the value of the of the company goes down when 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 there's a bear market. And do you are you like a lot of a lot of people who who are involved in crypto? Are you, are you seeing this as a dip where it'll eventually come back up? Do you see things leveling out like? what's going to happen and does yeah does it worry you oh man dan you packed in like four questions <laughs> <to> that question <laughs> uh so so let's take it one at a time uh, the solana blockchain i think one of the things that um people need to realize about invisible college is we are not maximalists about any one particular chain we believe in general that many chains are going to exist many chains will succeed. They'll succeed for different reasons. And, you know, our job is to really be deep in the ecosystem and understand the pros and cons of every ecosystem that develops and help people navigate through this multi-chain world. You know, we're, we love Ethereum. We love Solana. We love Avalanche. We love many of these, uh, of these ecosystems for different reasons. And, you know, one of the things I love about Ethereum is that it's very decentralized and it's very secure. And you can believe that the assets that you're going to buy on, on Ethereum's network are going to be around for a long time. And, you know, the drawback to that is that you have to pay pretty significant fees to transact on the network. And when you're talking about bringing newcomers into the space, it's very, very hard to bring a, a beginner into the space, teach them the ropes when they only have like a hundred bucks to spend 
or 200 bucks to spend. You know, they don't have thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. And frankly, you could just pay a hundred dollars in fees for something on, on Ethereum's network. You know, so, you know, especially if you do it at the wrong time. And so it's not really realistic for a lot of folks to transact on Ethereum's network on a, on a day-to-day basis. And even a lot of the L2s, a lot of the L2s that, that you know, leverage Ethereum security still have high transaction fees. Like even, even a dollar for one transaction is still too high of a fee for, for many people. And so Solana presents a really interesting ecosystem where the fees are a lot lower, the user experience design of many of the softwares that, that touch the ecosystem, like the Phantom Wallet, are a little bit better developed. They're a little bit friendlier to beginners. And then also, um, you, you know, Solana is the number two chain for NFTs. If you pull up NFT trade volume, if you pull up sales volume, if you put up, pull up almost any metric with NFTs, uh, Solana will be number two behind Ethereum. And be below Solana is a huge gap, right? It's like it's like Ethereum, Solana, and then then just a whole bunch of also rants uh, below them. So if you're talking about launching an NFT collection, it makes a ton of sense. You know, if you can't if you can't stomach the fees on Ethereum for whatever reason, Solana is a great alternative option. Now, Solana has problems. You know, there's it's not to paint this perfectly rosy picture of, of Solana. It's definitely working out some issues with the network. Um, you know, we could talk about its consensus mechanism, its level of decentralization, you know, all these things. And they're fun academic discussions to have. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about actually onboarding people, um, you know, uh, it's quite clear, like for beginners, it's way easier for them to onboard into the Solana ecosystem than Ethereum right now. Yeah. Nick, I know you, you need to go because you, you're jumping into to one, of, to one of your events. Uh, Rockwell, are you jumping out as well? I, I can stay for for a little bit if you guys want to want to go. We can just wrap it up. Up to you guys. All right, cool. Yeah, if you want to stay for five minutes, that would be cool. Sure. Take us to the hour. Nick, I'll miss you. Guys, thank you for having me, Rockwell. <laughs> I will miss you, but I have a feeling uh, we will probably see each other uh, sooner than we think. <laughs> <laughs> guys, uh, this is great. Uh, and uh, yeah, th- thank you. Thanks for the time and, and glad we got a chance to do this. Really fun. Thanks, Nick. We appreciate it. We'll, we'll, Take care. We'll, we'll be in touch with part two anyway. Don't worry. Perfect. <laughs> See you guys. See you. Bye, Nick. All right, guys. Grill me. All right. Yeah, actually, you had a multi-part question. I didn't answer all the rest of the questions. Yeah, I think, I think you got A. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got question one in. <laughs> okay, so, so question two, you were asking about, you know, are we uh, very concerned about the prices of assets tanking in crypto? And... um. The answer is both yes and no. You know, I have a long-term perspective, and I like one of my favorite sayings is, um, "Your impatience is my profit." So the fact that you can't be a long-term holder, the fact that you have shorter time horizons for whatever reason, um, just means that uh, you know I will I, I will win from that, right? Because I am patient, I can wait. Yeah, I, like one of the examples that I give uh, oftentimes, like in the Bitcoin masterclass, I talk about, you know, people used to ask me all the time, it was like, oh, Amazon's killing it. Is it too late to get in? And you could have had the same discussion in 2004, 2009, 2014, 2018, 2022. At each one of those points, you would have had great entry points into Amazon. Like the price went from 400 to $40 to $300 to $1,000 to 
you know, uh, $2,200. And, and it's like each time you're asking yourself, is, is it over? Is the run over? Like, is there no more money to be made? And at its core, if you believe in the future growth prospects of something and you believe it's going to be, you know, far more successful in the future than it is now, then the answer is, you know, no, it's not too late. Of course you can still get it, right? And with crypto, we're so early. If you just look at the number of people actually participating in the crypto ecosystem, it's still small. You know, it, it, like for example, the number of wallets with Solana is under 15 million. Like under 15 million people actually transact on Solana's network today. What, you know, 10X that number, what is the what does the price of Solana do? Hundred X that number. What is the what is the price of Solana do? You know, it's um, you know. So no, I'm not particularly concerned with asset prices on any particular day because I believe in the fundamental growth of these ecosystems and what they will be in the future. Yeah. You know, I don't. You know, Amazon stock, for example, has taken a turn uh, uh, in the last couple of months because all the growth stocks have gotten hammered. Am I worried about Amazon? No. I'm not worried about Amazon. I think there's, <laughs> yeah, something, like, there's something different though, isn't it? Like, and it's something I wrestle with all the time. And 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 I, and and I know that. I know that. I know. Just looking at history, the time to get into the time to get to get into the stock market um, is is when it's going down. Like late '80s stock market was was when people became millionaires. Like when people were running scared, there was people getting in there. And a few years later. They were laughing, and and, and that's and I suppose that's how it works. I was saying that to to Julia, my partner, the other day. I was like, "It's like you know, the the maxim for 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 investing is is buy low, sell high. Like everybody knows that, but it's the most difficult thing in the world to do because when something is low, you just it it almost goes against you you every every emotion in your body really. But I suppose what you're saying there and about about crypto grown and Bitcoin grown, I, I'd say that is quite fundamentally different to something like Amazon grown. Amazon grown, it, it changes changes retail, doesn't it? Like totally changes the the face of the earth in terms of in terms of the retail market. Crypto grown completely disrupts financial systems. Now that's a different beast altogether, isn't it? And that's where a shitload of power is, world power. Do you, do you see eventually within the next decade or longer, do you see those those global financial systems succumbing to to, to cryptocurrencies or, or to Bitcoin to be more specific? How do you see that playing out? So I think there are a number of important narratives in crypto that you have to think about. Um, so we, we could take them pretty easily. I think the first narrative is store of value. So when you go and you work and you make money, you have to park that money somewhere, right? And you presumably want to park it somewhere where it's going to grow and become more valuable over time, not less valuable over time, right? And so we have all of these uh, investment instruments in the traditional world, stocks, gold, government bonds, corporate bonds. Like there's, there's plenty of places you could park your money and, um, you know, and store it there and hopefully it grows in value over time. Um, we now have a digital way of doing that right? with Bitcoin and with, with, with certain cryptocurrencies, but especially Bitcoin, where it satisfies the three core properties that you need in a store of value. 
in, in a store of value, you need a limited supply, you need it to be durable, and you need social consensus. You need these three things to have a real store of value. So limited supply in that, you know, you can't have just an infinite number of these widgets because as the more, as more of these widgets come into the world, the price tends to, to, to trend to zero, right? Durable because you don't want your money to disappear. <laughs> like, why don't you just store your money in, in uh, cupcakes? It's like, cause like people eat cupcakes <laughs> and then, then your money's gone. Right. Uh, and then, you know, finally you need social consensus because if people do not accept your money for trade, then your money's worthless. Right. So if you don't have these three properties, then, then you don't actually have a store of value. What Bitcoin has showed is that it's an incredible store of value. And it satisfies these three properties really well. And, and this, the third point, you know, it, it of course has a verifiably limited supply at 21 million Bitcoin. It's very durable, like Bitcoin doesn't evaporate, right? <laughs> and then uh, social consensus is something that's being built. And we've seen enough social consensus being built that its price today is over $30,000 a coin. But, you know, as more social consensus is built over time and more people buy into it, you'll see that price skyrocket. And, you know, the, the amount that it could reach one day depends on X number of factors, but you know, there's, there's a lot of upside to Bitcoin being successful. But that's just one narrative. That's the store of value narrative. You have other narratives that matter and that are playing out in the world. So for example, the, the currency narrative, like nobody wants to walk into Starbucks and see the price of their cup of coffee change every three seconds because the, the currency is volatile. Nobody wants that. And so Bitcoin in being a good store of value is actually a terrible currency right now because it's too volatile. It just goes up to up and down too much. Like you want a day-to-day -day currency to be much more stable. And so a whole crop of stable coins that they call them, it's, it's cryptocurrencies that actually have a stable price, usually pegged to the US dollar, um, have popped up. And if you pull up the charts for cryptocurrency, you're like, oh my God, out of the top 10 cryptocurrencies in the world, like three or four of them are stable points. And, and, and those are pegged literally to the US dollar. Now, a, a very fair criticism is, well, wait a second. If it's just pegged to the US dollar, why don't you just use dollars? Like what, what is so uh, what useful about having a currency that is, is transacting dollars? And I think there's, there's a couple of things. Like it's very useful to have dollars on chain it's very useful to be able to transact digital dollars. Like there is no such thing as a digital dollar today. You know, we have credit cards, we have money and bank accounts. All of these are um, just kind of database entries and heterogeneous databases that kind of connect to each other loosely. And so really like your money is just a value in Bank of America or HSBC or, you know, pick your bank. It's just a value in their database, right? And they hook into you know various other banks through ACH and SWIFT and all these technologies, and it, it is like 1970s era tech, and it's terrible, and it, and it doesn't work particularly well. In fact, it's a lot of like shoestrings and bubble gum that's all keeping it connected. And if you actually peeked behind the scenes and looked what was going on in traditional banking um, uh, transactions, you'd be horrified. You'd be like, "Oh my god, we have to change this yesterday. This is crazy. How could we possibly be doing this still?" And so, you know, I think there, there's a lot of value into having digital dollars represented on chain that can be easily transacted. But ultimately, the criticism of, well, wait a second, 
the central bank still controls the money supply for that dollar. So whatever the central bank does to manipulate that dollar is still going to happen to that stable coin. And that's true, 100%. This is a valid criticism. We're seeing another generation of stable coins being developed that are not pegged to the US dollar and that they're just trying to be fundamentally stable to some basket of goods or being stable with built-in inflation inside of the token itself. And so this is a fascinating experiment here where you're having people like the Frax team with FPI that are, that are literally building in inflation to their token or the, the team that does Ray. Ray is a very interesting, just uh, like a, a stable currency that tries to be completely stable um, regardless of market conditions and regardless of what inflation may or may not be. And so, the, you know, these are two of many teams that are kind of working on this. How do you create an actual stable currency so that your cup of coffee could be $3 today, $3 tomorrow, $3 a week from now, $3 10 years from now. It's always $3 because it's perfectly stable. And so a lot of crypto experiments there. And then the final uh, narrative that I think is quite interesting is programmable money. You know, for the first time in history, money has the inherent property to be able to be programmed. Like no matter if I take out a $20 bill, no matter how much I yell at this bill, it's not going to do anything, right? I, like it doesn't have the inherent property of being programmed. And so now what you're seeing is with cryptocurrencies, they have this inherent property. You can tell them to do things and they will go do it. And that is fundamentally transformative. All of a sudden, lots of use cases open up when money doesn't require application layer upon application layer to transact. And so you know, like when you go to the grocery store and you swipe your credit card or your debit card, there are more than six intermediary organizations between you and the grocer, which is crazy. There's all these middlemen like taking money out of the pot, so to speak, for themselves. Because money, like traditional money, doesn't have the ability to be programmed. But programmable money, cryptocurrency money, does. And so you're opening up tons of new potentials where you're seeing things like decentralized finance. You're seeing things like blockchain gaming. You're, you're, you're seeing uh, uh, very interesting experiments in DAOs, in NFTs, all, all over the space. You're seeing really interesting narratives play out because finally, for the first time in history, money can be programmed without intermediary middlemen. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. And, I, and I, the, yeah, I just, that whole thing of the, of, of the inflation built in is, is mind blown really. Yeah, um, it's really cool. It's a, you should yeah. definitely check that out. In fact, here's what I'll tell you. And, and one thing that I want your listeners to really know. What crypto actually is, is programmable incentives. That's it. It's a way to program the outcomes that you want to see in the world. And you do that through tokens and their distribution structure. So you're basically trying to influence people's behavior and influence system behavior through token distributions. That's all it is. And in fact, one of my favorite quotes is from Charlie Munger. And he says, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcomes. Right? Charlie, one of the richest men in the world, longtime partner of Warren Buffett. What he's saying there 
is that look around you. The things that you see arise around you are not accidents. They're coming from some underlying incentive structure. And if you understand the incentive structure, you'll understand the outcomes. And crypto gives us a technological infrastructure to program those outcomes through tokens. And, and that's it. So, you know, it's just an infrastructure. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. We as human beings have to decide how to deploy that infrastructure. And, you know, just like you, you get emails from people that are like Nigerian princes that want to scam you. It's like, there are scams all over the economy. Every day I get calls of some expired warranty for my car that I never had trying to scam me, right? Does that, does that mean that phones are bad? No. Do the Nigerian fake Nigerian princes mean email is bad? No, it's just an infrastructure. And what we're seeing today with crypto is that you have folks using that infrastructure to do lots of interesting good things and folks using it to do not so great things. And you know, ultimately the decision is in our hands to make valuable applications on top of this infrastructure. And I believe we will, but it's gonna take some time. <laughs> I'm blown away to be fair. I've just been listening to that and it's probably the most understanding I've got, the most excited I've got to date in terms of, of, of these conversations, which is, uh, we've had quite a few. Dan does a great job, in fairness. To, uh, Dan, Dan talks about it often and, 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 and is excitable. Uh, and and as it, <laughs> exciting, should I say. But yeah, no, I, I really like it. The, the open element of it and 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 uh, where do we go next? But um, as a final thing, I, I, we talked about it right at the beginning, and we talked about a mission of a company and and, and a vision of a company. Um, and I suppose my question to to you, and I know Nick's not here as well, so we can always ask him offline as well. But what does what do what is the why for you? And also, what does kind of success and and what would you like as an achievement for, for the Invisible College, do you think? So I went to one of the best universities in the world and I came away from that education hating it. So I remember being in high school and looking up the US News and World Report rankings for schools. And it's like, oh, cool. Like, uh, you know, I'm going to apply to these schools. They're the top of the, the rankings. And what I found was an education that was extremely lacking. What I found was that I still had to really teach myself how to do things. I was like, why am I paying all this money to just teach myself? Like, why am I experiencing teachers coming into classrooms, opening the book and just writing what's on the book on the chalkboard and mumbling, you know, to themselves at, you know, as they do it. It's like, why, why don't I actually have any good teachers here? And what success looks like for me in Invisible College is that people come, they have fun, they learn, they, they, they potentially shift their lives in important ways based on, on the, the things that they learn. They're part of a community that they're excited to be part of, like they open the Discord and they're just like, hey, like it's fun to be here. The energy is right. The vibe is right. The learnings are right. The education is right. And... 
I, like ultimately what I want to do is create an institution that I never had, that I wish I had had when I was learning. And that can be a template for other organizations in the future that when they think about how do you actually um, educate people, they realize that they can create institutions where every day somebody's excited to come and be a part of it. And it's energizing instead of soul sucking. I like there was very few days of my college experience where going into class was an enjoyable activity for me. It was a slog. And we have, we have trained people to believe learning is not fun, that learning is something that you, that you have to you go and do, and it's going to be a miserable time because you're going to sit in this classroom and you're going to listen to this teacher you're going to try to absorb the things that they're saying, even though they probably don't really fundamentally understand it themselves. And, and, and you're just going to do it because you're going to get that degree and you're going to get that job and it's going to lead you to a better life. And I don't believe that that has to be the way. I believe that you can create institutions where every day people are excited to learn. They're excited to learn with the people around them. They're, it's more engaging. It's more thoughtful. And they walk away and have much higher retention than the 10 to 15% you see with many traditional organizations. That's what I want to create. That's cool. And I think, I think you guys are doing it. And it, it, I think it goes back to, to that word you said before of incentive. And Sagata Mitra talks about learning, like just in case learning versus I think just in time learning and and a lot of our educational system is based on just in, oh, learn this just in case you might need it at some point. And then 99.9% of it, you never, ever need. But actually, and I guess what you guys are doing at Invisible College is it's, it's timely for people. They can act on it straight away. It's, there's an incentive built into it because they can then literally attend uh, a webinar or, 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 an, or an education package on Web3 and then, and then, log in and and do it and do it straight away and start seeing the the rewards of that you have to be a doer you cannot just sit on the sidelines and passively accrue information and expect when the time comes that you need to deploy that information you'll be able to do it dan you're talking about just in time versus just in case the truth is the whole education system being built on just in case doesn't even work most of the time because when you actually need the information you don't even recall it you know, if I, if you asked me, so I, I, I was heavily into mathematics in university. If you asked me to solve a differential equation or like a complicated Calc three problem today, I would look at you blankly and be like, well, uh, <laughs> I'm going to need, I'm going to need a couple months to get myself up to speed again. Right. Like I, I don't have that information readily accessible that I can like just apply Bayes theorem on some probability problem right off the top of my head, even though I took a course on it and it's like, okay, well, what use is all that then? Yeah. Yeah. It, it the use was to pass an exam and make a, few people, <laughs> yeah. make a few people feel good about themselves uh, at the time. <laughs> uh, Rockwell, it's, it's been great. And th for, thanks for staying on. I uh, really appreciate it. And, and yeah, that was quality that um not that it wasn't great when nick was here as well it was quite it was good for the full hour 
but uh, it was good. You've made me kind of, you've made me bullish about crypto again. I've, I've been having a, a bearish few weeks. Um, so yeah. Do we, do we tell them now that you sold everything? When, when <laughs> yeah, this is this is just a virtual background. I'm actually I'm, I'm in a cardboard. The plant box is the only moment. thing he's got left. He's, he spent his so, last bit that he made on crypto on the plant. It's a really expensive one. I've not seen it before. I, I will give you a recommendation uh, and your listeners. Um, if you have not heard of Rene Girard and mimetic theory, I would go listen to that. You can find mimetic theory all over YouTube, and there's there's lots of explainers, but. You will, Dan, I think you will understand this feeling that you're having when price goes up and price goes down, like the actual emotions that you're experiencing and why you're experiencing them. If you go uh, just, you know, listen to, to what mimetic theory is and some of Rene Girard's work, you'll start understanding deeply what's causing those feelings and what, you know, why people care so much about bull and bear markets and why people care so much about what others are buying. And it, it'll all start making sense, especially with NFTs and, and even tokens. Like, what is driving our behavior? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? And it's 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 a very good um, it's very good. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'll check it out. Uh, Rockwell, thank you so much. The the day's ending here, but uh, the afternoon's just beginning for you. So enjoy, enjoy sunny sunny California and have a fantastic day. You too, guys. It was great to spend some time with you. Take care. Take care.